0: Hi everybody, I'm your host and this week I'm excited for you to meet Raghu Yarlagata, co-founder and CEO of FalconX, one of the largest and fastest growing digital asset brokerages. Raghu started FalconX in 2018 to meet the growing institutional demand for digital assets and has since scaled to grow the company 30 times in net revenue year over year. FalconX was most recently valued at nearly 4 billion dollars. Raghu is an engineer by background and passionate about building products that create value. Prior to Falcon X, Raghu held product leadership roles in Google. He was on the Chrome OS team and led efforts to scale Chromebooks to over $3 billion in revenue for Google and its partners. He started his career at Motorola, laying the technical foundation for many popular video streaming services, such as Netflix and YouTube. Raghu holds an MBA from Harvard Business School, as well as degrees in machine learning. And with that, I want to welcome Raghu. Raghu, first of all, I'm so excited to have you on today. I've been following Falcon X for a while, and so let's just, for everybody out there that's listening, let's start with the six. What is FalconX in your own words? And give us a bit of the aha moment since you really founded it in 2018.
1: Sure thing. First off, Alexa, thanks so much for having me. I mean, I'm a follower of yours as well. So first, what is FalconX? At a very high level, we are a disclasted brokerage for institutions. So we exclusively serve a very diverse set of institutions, all the way from of the largest hedge funds on the planet, asset managers, retail aggregators, payment processors, to crypto-native funds. So for this diverse set of institutions, we do three things as a brokerage. The first thing, trading. Trading is how do you get very good, reliable pricing in a form factor that you care about? Number two, how do you wrap this pricing in a variety of credit solutions like margin, leverage, delayed settlements, Number three, clearing, which is like, how do you safely store digital assets and move them from point A to point B? So those are the three things, trading, credit, and clearing that we do for institutions of all forms and shapes. And uh, in terms of like where uh, the trend that we're seeing and where we're heading, we believe that the next billion users in crypto are not just going to go to the, the retail exchanges that the early adopters went to, but they're opening up their fintech apps, they're opening up their traditional brokers that they work with and asking, where is crypto? So what we're doing is we're packaging all these services of trading, credit clearing, and providing the traditional brokers, the API, so that they can serve crypto reliably to the next billion users that are coming in, uh, you know, and they can integrate within a week. So that's what we do at a very high level. And I can cover the aha moment uh, as well if there are no other questions.
0: Yes, I was going to say, you know, I I, I have the sentence in my head, which is you went from working on Chromebooks to crypto, <laughs> and, and I'd love to get a sense of, you know, clearly you're a absolute product expert. You have so much good foresight of where the market is headed. What made you back in 2017, I'm sure it was before 2018, decide to say, all right, I'm going to go take this risk and build this business?
1: Absolutely coming on the heels of a Chromebook which is uh, which I was very fortunate to work on it was an incredibly successful product after that I wanted to stretch myself and challenge myself and all my life I followed great engineers uh, Alexa and some of the brightest engineers that I know including the ones who worked with Larry and Sergey when Google is being started they weren't shutting up about blockchain and for me I was like as an engineer I didn't find blockchain to be a very effective database what's this hoopla of like you know duplicating, thousands of copies of the same data every single place. I didn't find it to be very efficient, but clearly some of the brightest engineers were kung about it. So I decided to actually work with them and understand this uh, better. After one year of working with some of the brightest engineers very closely, what I truly felt is a lot of world's value will be tokenized in the next five to eight years. And in terms of tokenization, the first wave of tokenization we are seeing is, the first use case really is crypto. The second wave, Your fiat is getting tokenized in the form of stable coins, culture and art through NFTs, and eventually your equities, your fixed income markets, all of these things are going to get tokenized. For me, the aha moment was to get into a little bit more detail. A lot of consumer internet companies, Alexa, if you look at it very closely, incentives are not aligned between the users and the platforms. The world's largest social network to solve fake news in Bangladesh is hiring thousands of people here in the US. And how can thousands of people here in the U.S. solve fake news in real time in Bangladesh? The reason why they had to hire here is like, you know, there are no incentives aligned for the users to spot, detect, and flag fake news in a reliable manner because the incentives are not aligned. Uh, And this is the problem of the generation in terms of how do you actually align incentives and massive consumer internet problems? People use AI, machine learning, and all, all the technologies that are available, but there is no technology that I've seen which is as profound in solving incentive alignment as blockchain is. Take a look at Bitcoin blockchain, for example. The second largest country on the planet by GDP, uh, China, decided to ban crypto. And uh, within two weeks, they pushed all mining out of China very aggressively. And a decentralized network, which is not controlled by one single person, self-balanced and all the hash rate was back up to where it was healthier and much more diversified in just about two months a centralized company couldn't have survived that and all of that is because the incentives are beautifully aligned between the users of bitcoin blockchain and the miners who are the maintainers of uh, the bitcoin blockchain
0: I want to go back to 2018 as you were standing this up and you know as I said in the intro, you've literally grown rapidly. You've now raised over about $300 million to date. You've had tremendous interest from some of your best investors in the world. you know you made so much progress in a short period of time. And I'm sure in your head, you're just getting started. But if we go back to 2018, thinking that your customers were some of the world's largest hedge funds, asset managers, and you were trying to say, come to us and we will help you get access to crypto how did you establish trust early? How did you think about going light on and actually that go-to-market motion to actually get you in business?
1: Wow, that's such an interesting question, Alexa, because in 2018, when we were standing up the company, there was no institutional crypto. Uh, when we went to investors, and uh, these are investors that I know from my prior life, i told we're building an institutional this class of brokerages. They're, they're like, institutional what? <laughs> There's no institutions of crypto is the popular belief at that point. Now, your question, how did we build trust? I mean, why did we decide to build, uh, you know, within institutions? First off, the data was very clear that if any asset class were to become mainstream, 60 to 80% of that asset class eventually is going to be institutions. And we see the early semblance of that data point, uh, like, you know, panning out in crypto as well, where some of the world's best institutions, even at that time, hey, we're trying to access crypto. This is something cool, but it's so difficult to access crypto. So we objectively saw the data. We anecdotally saw some insights. But now the question is, how do you convince the world's best institutions to actually come to FalconX? Because we're a brand that's just about to get started. I think the most powerful thing, Alex, in one of your interviews, you said this elsewhere as well. The most powerful thing is to sell the vision and the inspiration. Because the institutions are not coming to buy or sell like a million dollars worth of Bitcoin in 2018 institutions were coming in to experience the future. Because some of the world's greatest people are saying that blockchain is going to be revolutionary and it's going to, the world is going to be tokenized. We want to experience the future. So that's the job to be done. Not only were we providing, uh, like, you know, really one hell of an amazing price in terms of buying and selling digital assets, but the way we are thinking about the world of vision and why we are thinking about digital assets, that really inspired a lot of institutions. To quantify that, I'm an engineer, Alex, and to quantify that, we built a $3.75 billion company in uh, you know three, three and a half years, except for the last two months, we didn't have sales, marketing, or any outbound motions. It was all organic and word of mouth. Wow. We acquired over 500 customers now, most of them organically through word of mouth, and it still is the same value proposition. You are going to experience the future of dislasses class through FalconX. Bear with us. Right, even if there's minor hiccups here and there. And our customers were tremendous in helping us build the product lines that we have today.
0: I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to talk about what you provide. You you don't have to name a company, but let's say one of your biggest asset managers. What do you provide them? What does the customer experience look like? And just give us a sense of how you help them turn the lights on to the future.
1: Absolutely. I'll break that into the short term and the long term. In the very short term, I'll, I'll paint the world without FalconX and with, wealth, uh, with Falcon X. Without Falcon X, the world's largest ha- hedge fund, or like, you know, a very large crypto-native uh, fund, used to go to a credit shop and like, you know, get their credit underwritten very subjectively, their balance sheet, their financial statements, and looking at their face. They used to get, let's say, a million dollars worth of credit. They took this credit from this credit shop, put it on different exchanges, inventory managed across these exchanges, and ran a few strategies. Whether it's cross exchange arbitrage or whatever be the strategy, the problem with this is it, it took a long time to basically stand this up. You got to basically go to the credit shop, convince them, get it, plant on an exchange, and boom, the strategy on that exchange changes because the market conditions on that exchange change. Now you have to find another exchange. So it took about a month to basically get all of this up and running, Alexa. Now with FalconX, the experience is very different. In 24-48 hours, you're onboarded as a customer. Credit, trading, clearing, all interact seamlessly on the product through 120-second workflow. And even more important, it's elastically. Meaning, if you want to do a trade and basically apply credit only for that specific trade when your strategy is working in the market, you can elastically apply credit only to that trade. So what that means is, first of all, instead of taking a month to basically stand up your strategies and you know deploy on all these different venues, you collapse all of that to 120 seconds. Number two, you create a tremendous amount of balance sheet efficiency because every institution for the last 50 years has has been trying to do the same thing. I have a million dollars. How can I express a view on on the market for three, four, five million dollars when I can get access to credit in a very efficient manner? So that's what we enabled uh, people to do in 120 seconds. And to your later point, what is the future of all of this? The future that I'm excited about, Alexa, is like whether it's institutions or retail, it is surprising that most of modern financial services don't work over the weekends.
0: I know. It's insane. I mean, it's literally, it's laughable, to be honest. It, I don't
1: get it. And we, we all take it for granted. For example, if Google goes out over the weekend, I think the world will be up in arms. But your banking doesn't work, your trading doesn't work, your credit doesn't work. And oftentimes when when a lot of retail users are thinking about credit, it's over the weekends because we can't afford the luxury of planning all of these things over the weekdays. So I think tokenization will reduce the overhead in making all of these financial services accessible through technology over the weekends, basically 24-7. And I think that's the future in which institutions want to play as well.
0: I agree with you. And I'm I'm smiling just because as I was building LearnVest, I was like, we'll be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because that is when we should be open. I want to pause. You said something, um, Raghu, that I think really speaks to me and it speaks to what I believe is happening. You said we will need to serve a billion people that will be on crypto and digital assets and tokenization at some point in the future. Can you just talk a little bit from your perch? Mm -hmm. what do you think the next 10 years looks like? And what do you think will help speed it up? What do you think the risks are to that adoption? Just walk us through what you think is the tsunami that helps make that happen. And if there are any risks or hiccups that slow that down, from your point of view, what would those be?
1: I'll break it into two parts, uh, Alexa. The first thing, I mean, what are the big trends that we are going to see in the next decade? And what are the tools that enable that trend? Because in my opinion, tokenization is simply a tool. Very similar to AI and machine learning, it's a tool. So what is the underlying trend that these tools are enabling? Starting with the trends first, I see three trends that are going to power the next five years at the very least. The first trend, uh, for the right reasons, you know, the world is going to be printing a lot of money. As the world is printing a lot of money, to what you used to speak uh, through LearnVest as well, managing that money really well is extremely important. And oftentimes, as world is printing a lot of money, proactively managing that means there are two facets of it. How do I invest? And how do I earn yield if I don't want to take asymmetric risk? So right investments where the returns are really good and accessible, right amount of yield because the world is going to print a lot of money. If you're putting money in the bank today, and if you're earning zero interest rate, you're actually losing 5% on a yearly basis, 6% on a yearly basis. So return on investment when you're talking about investing into slightly riskier assets, non-riskier asset, you're deeply caring about yield. And that's going to be a global phenomenon that is going to be a very deep part of the next five years. The second thing is, there is a big transformation that's happening where money is, for the first time, at this scale, is being transitioned from baby boomers to millennials. And millennials think about money differently. So one aspect of money is like, you know, millennials care about is like, you know, activism, a little bit of activism, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of hands-on management. Now, for the first time, finance is mixing with entertainment. It's a very profound thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a very profound thing. And even without crypto, you saw that happen with GameStop. Now, entertainment and finance are mixing and millennials that are coming in, they, they look at money differently compared to baby boomers last but not the least, we already discuss, uh, discussed this. the fact that you can do something on the weekend is outdated. So if these are the three big user needs, I think tokenization really aligns well with all the three things. first and foremost, yield generation simply because of the volatility and the global construct of uh, you know tokenized you know systems, because of volatility through engines like Falconix, that volatility is generated to yield. And whether it's institutional retail customers that deeply care about getting yield, beating inflation, they deeply care about having access to assets that can actually give you good returns. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it, entertainment, right? I mean, if you look at tokenization specific to NFTs, there is a clear aspect of entertainment baked into it. So that's another reason why tokenization is going to be accelerated. And the third thing is like tokenization will actually enable the last retail user in a developing country who never had access to financial services get access to financial services for the first time. I come from India, and there are about four to six national banks. In the last 70 years, half or more of them went bankrupt multiple times trying to reach the base of the pyramid. Why? Because the financial infrastructure is too expensive in terms of an overhead to reach the bottom of the pyramid. But with protocols like Compound, you, you and I can create thousands Checkings and savings accounts for every human being on the planet tomorrow. So I think that is also going to be a very powerful thing in terms of the next uh, decade.
0: I want you to spend a little bit more time on that last point, which is that with a protocol like Compound, you could open tens of millions, billions of accounts quickly. That is a profound point right there. Can you just spend a bit more time on that one?
1: Absolutely. I come from a state called Andhra Pradesh. There are hundreds of farmers who commit suicide every year. Uh, like, you know, especially when during the drought years, simply because they don't have access to financing systems. And it's a very simple financial engineering problem that can be solved in terms of a weather-based farmer needs access to temporal loan so that he can grow his uh, the crop and pay it back after X amount of time. The very basic financial need. The second need is after harvesting that crop, the little amount of money that the farmer makes he or she needs a bank account to safely store. And if the world is getting inflated, not only safely store, but get yield to at least beat that inflation, right? That is the basic need that's there. Now, for a bank to basically open a branch account in the remote village in India, staff it, and have this overhead of paperwork to actually physically manifest all these accounts and manage, maintain, and solve for corruption, it's incredibly hard. Versus thankfully because of the uh, proliferation of uh, the internet and the mobile devices mobile phones are everywhere internet is everywhere it's cheap now all we need to do is if you enable protocols like compound to be like you know widely accessible in the mobile footprint essentially a farmer that same farmer who wants to save money can open a compound account or some decentralized you know protocol and save the money there not just save the money with a flip of a button, can earn interest by lending that money out in a very safe, collateralized way. As a result, you have multiple bank accounts, you're earning yield, and the money is accessible to you 24 7, all with a 50 rupee internet connection on a monthly basis.
0: I want to transition um, to one last question on just like the future of where this is all headed. I had a debate the other day with a number of people, and we were talking about what percentage, and I'm just going to use America to keep it simple what percentage of the American wallet in a decade, so in 10 years from today, could be tokenized? So just take a normal everyday person walking down the street, I'd love to get a sense of what your hypothesis is in terms of, and this is tokens of all shapes and sizes, can be you know, all the things that will come down the hatch, as we both know there's a lot brewing. What percent do you think it would be?
1: Wow, that's a very good question, Alexa. And I think that depends on the macro conditions, right? I mean, if the inflationary regime continues for three, four, five years, I think that adoption curve is going to be accelerated tremendously. Based on what we are seeing in the market in the next 10 years, I think about 40 to 60% of an average person's wallet as of today will be tokenized. Whether it's like fiat getting tokenized in the form of stable coins or crypto as we know it, or whether it's NFTs or whether it's wealth management and like, you know, access to equities, I believe that 40 to 60% will be tokenized if today's market conditions persist for another four or five years.
0: Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Karda knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close a round. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to cover a few more topics on everything that you have such a unique perch sitting at Falcon X, which is not only thinking about, you know, you serve the big enterprise customers, which ultimately care about servicing, you know, the, 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 the everyday customers like you and I. And so you have to think about all of it. So I'm like truly deeply excited about picking your brain. I'd love to get a sense about the regulatory environment. And remember one of my questions was, if we fast forward a decade, what do you think could happen? what do you think is possible? And what you just said is unlocking World Bank accounts truly to everybody. The fact that maybe 40 to 70% of an everyday person's wallet is tokenized. The fact that we are going to provide 24-7 access to financial services to everybody on the planet. Things that just intellectually we almost take for granted. But that, you know, I remember the day I opened my first crypto account saying, oh my God, I can trade all night long. This is so fun. (laughs) Um, I also had to go to bed. I was like, go to bed, Alexa. Um, But there's things that could slow down this vision. Mm-hmm. For you, what are the key risks? What are the things in the regulatory environment? What are the things that you think could put, you know, stop guards or slow down the rails of, of this moving train?
1: Absolutely. I'll I'll cover it in the same order that you mentioned, I think with the regulation being last and the first one, I think the first one is security. The second one is like self-regulation. And the third thing is regulatory bodies regulating. One of the big attributes of any computing system is like, you know, imagine if all of world's banks' accounts are on decentralized protocols. The good news is from a security standpoint, there's no single central bank that anyone can hack into. But the not so great news is you can hack a lot of small users who are not following the best security practices. So security is becoming increasingly important in terms of educating the end user in terms of modern security best practices, extremely important.
0: I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Absolutely important. And the security hygiene is something that we we got to start teaching our kids in schools. So number one, security is uh, definitely top of the mind. Number two, while we wait for regulation around the world to be globally coordinated and uh, very well aligned and monitoring uh, the tokenized world, The interim phase is what I call the self-regulatory phase. The onus is on every major participant who's having the privilege to build today to actually do the right thing, even if the book doesn't give you an answer on every question that there is. Because if you miss common sense, and if you basically get short-term greedy, you're selling the future of your own company. I mean, forget stealing from someone else. So I think the self-regulation is something I wish to see more of that. There are some basic principles, right? We never, none of us want to touch blood money. And like, you know, there's so much money to be made in a healthy way. Why do we want to focus on any of those things? So self-regulation is going to be number uh, two. The third thing is regulation. And uh, parts of regulation for the right purposes and right needs, uh, Alex, it's so important for regulatory bodies to police certain aspects of this infrastructure. We can't expect, like, you know, everyone to be an absolute best actor all the time. So it's very important for regulatory bodies to basically come in, but at the same time, not put the entire swath of traditional code that was built for traditional systems, right? The traditional tax code, traditional KYC, ML code, and just apply verbatim to all these tokenized systems, which are completely a different mindset of thinking. So I think there, the regulatory one risk to your question, I worry a little bit about regulators translating word by word of a system or regulatory body that they built 40 years back to a completely new technology that's going to power up the next 40 years. So that is a small risk. But the good news is, uh, as China banned this the U.S. took the stance of like we're not banning, we're not we're regulating. As a result, a lot of that industry participation started. Still in the early innings, but we'll have to see how that
0: evolves. I thought that was really beautifully said. We need security hygiene, we need self-regulation, and then we need to focus on how the regulatory bodies have modern thinking against this truly fundamentally new systems uh, through which this this future operates. Raghu, I want to tradition a little bit to you. You, again, have had a really storied career, and now you're in this moment of truly a a pretty big, beautiful swing to move us into this modern world. Did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Tell us a little bit about growing up, and is is where you're sitting today, was it obvious?
1: (laughs) In hindsight, it may be, but no, it's not obvious when I was a kid. My father is a doctor and my mother is a teacher. And um, both of them today are entrepreneurs, but not while I was growing up. Now, very similar to you, I went to HPS as well, uh, Alexa. And when I was going to HPS, I think the dream was, uh, it's not just Raghu going to HPS; it's the entire damn family is going to HPS Because everything that I'm going to learn, I'm going to basically have a Zoom session over the weekends and then let's let's cover it all. Now,
0: Wait, I love that I'm smiling. So much. by the way, I'm also holding uh, <laughs> this mug, which is very, Um I love, I love that everybody in your family went too. keep going.
1: <laughs> so growing up, I mean, it was just a tremendous experience. I had a, a beautiful childhood. Very early on, my dad, who's a doctor who said, one thing is very clear. Raghu, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're not going to be a doctor because you don't have the knack for it. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> you know, as long as you're like, I can do anything that I want. And I was fascinated by engineering, right? I mean, television specifically fascinated me. So my undergrad, my exchange and my first master's degree was all on video image processing. And it was a lot of fun and there was a lot of support. And uh, to your question on how the entrepreneurial buck came in, it's more about like, you know, you, you see a future and you have a dream of how the world should operate. And you're so eagerly hoping that someone else is doing it and moving it forward. But sometimes there are simply gaps. It's like no one is doing it and this should be done. Come on. I mean, this is a very important building block for what the future is. I think that fervor really pushed me towards entrepreneurship. Not just that, after me going to HBS and like, you know, fortunate to have gone to HBS in the first place, though I call it the dark side because it takes away a little bit of risk, risk appetite from you.
0: <laughs> totally. i dropped out though remember i dropped out
1: yeah because you continued your risk streak you started the company <laughs> right after but uh, i think right after hbs i think not only did i start a company but my mom started you know educational institution and my father started the hospital so i think we all became entrepreneurs and now entrepreneurship is the language through which we are all bonding. Uh, so excited for it
0: First of all, Raghu, this has been amazing. I truly, it's so fun to have been finally able to connect and meet. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you wanna learn more about Falcon X, or if you're an institution and you wanna be using Falcon X, head to falconx.io and you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa von Tobel. And I wanna thank you so much for joining us here today. Such thought provoking ideas. You've made us all better and smarter. So truly thank you for joining.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Alexa.